it's the same audience. Okay? And how do we know it's the same audience he's writing to? Some of this is just sort of like historical. I'm just getting us a little framework. And I think it's good to do sometimes. Look at, look at chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, one. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. So he's telling them. This, this is the same audience, right? That he's writing to. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. In both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So he's writing to them, the same people. And it was these persecuted believers. They were believers that were scattered in this part of the world that he mentions there. We've said it before. I think it's around uh, Macedonia and the Black Sea and Turkey and that part of the world, that part of, I guess, Southwest Asia that would be over there. And it was believers that had been scattered there. And so Peter was not the first pope. We've had that discussion as well. Peter was an elder. He was an apostle. That's what he calls himself. And he never claimed to be anything other than that. He was an eyewitness of the Lord's resurrection. There is something unique about that. There is something special about that and a calling that God called these special people to, to, to be part of that, to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection. But as far as him being um, like the, the, a pope that would order or edicts or decrees or, or have something. He's not that. He never claimed to be that and the Bible never says that he was that. This epistle was written about six years after the first one. Um, about 66 AD. Again, it was written to the same audience that we, we uh, read before. This was also very soon before his death. Now, who can you think of that being similar to? Paul, Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy. The time of my departure is at hand. Right? He knew he was about to be beheaded in Rome. Paul did. And now Peter, look at 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir, up, stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So he knew he was about to die. You don't, you don't detect any hint of light depression or fear or sorrow though he's just saying this is i'm going to put off the way he looks at death in the physical because the bible says if we're saved we pass from death to life right and so the way that peter looked and paul they were not dreading it at all they were not stephen wasn't dreading it when they stoned him you know what i mean it was um he said i'm going to put off this earthly tabernacle it's his physical physical body and I'm going to go on to be with the Lord, even as the Lord showed me. We don't really have time to read it, but at the end of the Gospel of John, you know, there's that post-ministry, post-resurrection ministry where Jesus was alive for 40 days after He rose from the dead. On several occasions, He showed Himself to the disciples, right? And He was speaking specifically to Peter about, if you love Me, feed My sheep, right? And, and, he, and it, take care of my, my people. You're going to pastor them. And he's doing that through these epistles as well. But he went on to say, Peter, I want to tell you something. When you were young, you went wherever you wanted to go. You know, it's like like everybody right now. Want to get in the car and drive to Georgia. You know, you get in the car and drive to Georgia. You can, you're in control, so to speak, even as a believer. But he says, when you get old, you're going to be, somebody's going to lead you a place you don't want to go. And it even said, this was signifying what manner, by what manner of death, Peter would glorify the Lord. So it was, it was not a secret. We know Jesus was telling him, and it explained it in John, 
that what he's saying here is when you get older, you're going to glorify me through your death, a martyr's death. And he wasn't ashamed and he wasn't afraid. And when he's, when he's writing this epistle that we're studying, this was getting very close to that time. Amen? He said it right here. Very soon he said, I'm going to put, put off this uh, earthly tabernacle. So, um, in, and I said the comparisons between this and 2 Timothy, we're going to look at some of them and we're going to, we're going to get into these first few verses, but they warned of coming apostasy. We know that, that Paul did it. And Peter's going to do that as well in this epistle. They warned of, her, of heresy or schisms or divisions and false teachers. Paul primarily focused on, I say primarily focused on the laity. In other words, the 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 what what believers were going to believe that was false, whereas Peter focuses more on the teachers who were teaching it, and both are wrong. You look in Gal- in the church in Galatia, and we talk about it all the time. It's so easy to point our fingers at the Judaizers, and we should. And Paul says, "I even wish they were cut off who troubled you, the Judaizers, because they brought in false teaching to the people." And they would answer to God for that, and there have been answered. They have answered to God for that, but also every believer. There's a priesthood of the believer, right? And we've talked about it before. If if I came in here and we sit in here in Sunday school and I start teaching some false thing, you have a great responsibility as well. I'll be judged for teaching it. You'll be judged for listening to it and letting me get away with it and believing it and swallowing it just because I'm. The pastor, we, you have a responsibility. And we're not just critical of each other and judging like always, but we are responsible for that. And so I want to just read this. Uh, you can turn if you want to. 2 Timothy, and we'll, we'll go back and read the first two verses in Second Peter in a moment. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who is they? I believe it's it's people. It's not just the teachers. Okay, It's the people sitting in the pews. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I don't think it's the teachers that have itching ears. I think it's the people. I'm having an itching ear. you got to tell me something new. you got to tell me something exciting. And I heard so-and-so is doing it. Let's fly him in from wherever he's at. And we need him. We need that here in our church. Okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't. We shouldn't allow God to use other ministers to minister in our church, but in this case, it says that they're not going to endure sound doctrine. That's the first problem. When somebody doesn't endure it, sound doctrine, then where else are you going to go? The only other place is un- unsound doctrine, right? There's no other place, and uh, so they're going to heap to themselves because they want to keep doing church. They want to keep being spiritual. They want to keep. Uh, talking about Jesus and talking about the Lord and being active and feeling like they're meek with God and all this is still going on around them, but they don't want sound doctrine in the midst of it. That's too hard. Or it convicted them of their sin. Instead of repenting when God convicts us of our sin and saying, thank you, Lord, for showing me that. Ouch, that hurt. I'm not nearly what I thought I was, but thank you for showing me, God. I repent. Strengthen me in that area and wash me in your blood. That's what we ought to do when we're convicted. But they don't want it. They don't want sound doctrine. They're either tired of it, bored, bored with it. It's cramped their lifestyle in some way. Uh, they're embarrassed of it. But they're lost friends or worldly friends. Who knows? But they won't endure it. And so they're going to 
they're going to heap to themselves. Just heap them. You get the picture. Teachers having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and they shall be turned unto fables. Right? And so, that's what Paul's talking about. He says that, uh, know this, and what am I going to turn to read it, but he also says, know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. And he gives a long description. Men shall be lovers of their own selves and having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. There again, I don't think he's talking about the Muslim. I think it would include that, but I think his focus is he's talking about this is going to be the characteristics in the church or what's called the church. Or There's going to be a mixture of real believers and people that aren't believers. And the characteristic is going to be um, this having a form of godliness but denying its power. All right, from such, he says, turn away. There again, I think he's focusing mostly on the crowds, the believer, like you, and uh, you know. Whereas Peter's going to focus on those teachers that are bringing it in. And so let's look at a couple of things here. Turn back to Second Peter one, and uh, we're just going to look at these first two verses tonight. Simon Peter, a servant and a and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, there's our little introduction here. And the there's one of the key themes that we... That's pretty interesting in this epistle. I talked about the heresies and doctrine and so forth, and the end times deception, but also the word knowledge. Okay, that word knowledge in one form or another, epinosis, is is used 16 times in these three chapters. That's a that's you know you'd have to that's pretty impressive, right? Uh, 16 times in one form or another, the word knowledge or know uh, is used. In, in this little short epistle. And God, God's protection for us. I'll say this right away. We, we, we start talking about Matthew 24, for example. Lord, what's going to be like when you return and all these things are happening and the ends of the age? I ask Him three questions. Thank He, Jesus said that no man deceive you. He talks a lot that they're going to be false prophets, deceiving many and so forth. And naturally, what would happen is that I think that we would have fear come in or apprehension come in or maybe start looking over our shoulders at everybody. We would, you know, whoever teaches Sunday school, we're going to be, oh, I bet that's a false doctrine, you know. And that's not the way that we're supposed to do it. God has given us a protection for that. But He's given us a protection for that. In other words, we, we have to use what He's given us for that. You can't excuse yourself or I can't from what God has given every believer to protect us from deception and false doctrine. Well, I'm, I'm further along than that. I really don't need those things. I, I'm okay. I won't be deceived. Uh, I've heard people tell me, say, well, Jesus loves us. We're, we're not going to be deceived. I've heard people tell me that we're in deception. But Jesus loves us. We don't have to worry about being deceived. Well, that's partly true. Jesus does love us. And we don't have to live in fear of being deceived, but we absolutely, this was somebody that was in the midst of deception, we absolutely have to avail ourselves to what God has given us to keep us from being deceived. And number one thing is our knowledge, that word knowledge. 
that we're going to talk about a lot in this epistle, our knowledge of Him. I need to know Christ. I need to know Him, know Him. I don't need to know about Him. I don't need my spouse to know Him. I don't need my Sunday school teacher to know Him. I need to know Him. Okay? I need to know Him. And as the closer we get to the return of the Lord, and He says that evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says that. And He says that some in the latter days men will depart from the faith. They're going to depart from true Christianity. Might still call themselves Christians. Might still be over here in something that calls itself Christian. But it says something that last days men will depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines as teachings of devils. But they didn't come and say, I'm a devil, let me seduce you and bring you over here. They're going to come and give heed to it because it sounds Christian. How do I know if it's Christian or not? We talk about this all the time. Does it, to a T, line up from Genesis to Revelation? Does it line up with the Word of God? Not a twisted Scripture. Not taking one Scripture out of context and building a whole doctrine around it over here that doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible. But does it line up every word from that doctrine or teaching that you hear? Can you plate that, plop that down anywhere in this Bible and it fits? You understand what I'm saying? It's going to fit with 1 Samuel. It's going to fit with, and I know that things were prophetic at that time about the coming Savior. Christ hadn't come yet. But anything about God's character, His nature, how men approach God, anything, forgiveness of sins, the fact that we're all sinners, anything, doctrine, can you plop it right down and say, you know what, Isaiah, it lines up with Isaiah. It lines up with the book of Revelation. It lines up with the Gospels. You understand? It needs to line up with the rightly divided Word of God. And so our protection is simply this. He's given us primarily our knowledge of the Lord. Our knowledge of Him. I'm putting in, in that the Holy Ghost who indwells, dwells us. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. The Holy Ghost will never lead you into a lie. The Holy Ghost will never lead you uh, contrary to the Word of God either. So those are bouncing off of each other. And we're saying, I've, we've talked about it before, I really feel the Spirit of God leading me to do this. But I really feel He's leading me to marry an unbeliever so I can win him to the Lord. Or date an unbeliever. I use that example all the time because it's, well, you feel that way. And we are supposed to win souls and we are supposed to reach the lost and we are to have compassion on the lost. But I can tell you that that's not the Holy Spirit leading you to do that because the Word of God says not to do that. I don't have to pray about it. In fact, I think it would be a sin to pray about it when He's already told me that. It's just tempting the Lord. He's told me no. Go on with your life. Accept it, whether you like it or not. There's a little blip on the radar and go on with the Lord. He's given us His Word and He's given us the Holy Spirit and our knowledge of Him. And I would say on top of that, He's given us one another. And I'm talking about a genuine body of Christ that helps us. We peer into each other's lives. We care about how you're, each other are doing spiritually. I care how Buck's doing in the Lord. I pray for him. I know he prays for me. We know each other and pray for each other. It's not as complete as the Lord's knowledge of us. But, but there is a real help to that, right? There is a real purpose in, in being part of a body when we can be and not being a Lone Ranger Christian. So God's given us these things. He's given us His Word. Now I'm going to jump ahead. If you're in 2 Peter, we're going to backtrack. But look at the end of the chapter, 
verse 19. 2 Peter 1.19 talks about the prophetic word. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. Okay, so don't give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil. We have a sure word of prophecy. Some of the whole Bible that was written up until this time. And we have more since then. Uh, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I know we'll probably spend a whole Wednesday night on just that those three verses here in the future, so I don't want to get into it right now. But I'm, I do want to talk about the fact that God's given us the Word. We can trust the Word. We don't have to worry about it. You know, not only should we not worry about it, we ought to delve into it. We ought to go to it. We ought to retreat to it. We ought to abide in it. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, Jesus said in John 15. If you abide in Me, that's our knowledge of Christ and living with Him, and My words abide in you. That means they stay there. They dwell there. You're not checking in and out on Sundays. It's time for Bible study. Time for church. The rest of the time, I'm clearing it out of my mind or my heart. No, it's, it's where we live. It's where we stay. Every decision you make, you're about to sell something. You know, you're about to buy something. Everything. We're going to be honest. We're going to be fair. We're going to be Christ-like because His Word abides in us and he, we abide in Him. It affects all of our lives. And uh, one, one minister said, speaking about the, the end times apostasy, what was the size of a man's hand? You know, in Elijah's day when he prayed for rain? See a little cloud the size of a man's hand? He says is now a storm of hurricane proportions. And, and it's true. There were false doctrines in Peter's day when he was living. The Gnostics, right? All these people were around in John's day and Peter's day. The Judaizers. There were all kinds of false teachers. And I, when I say false teacher, I'm not talking about a, a false religion like Baal worship. Those are the no-brainers. I'm talking about the false teachings that come under, or at least want to uh, present themselves as being Christian. That was going on in their day. But would you say that it's more in our day? I think without question, it's more in, in our day. It says evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. Seducing, and you know, seducers deceiving and being deceived, and so that's going to increase. And so it's increasing in our day. Now the Gnostics, for example, they they almost thought that they were above it all. They kind of looked down their noses. This John dealt with them in First John a lot. The Gnostics that thought that they are, uh, you know, you can. There is this God. There is this higher being, but. You can't really know Him personally. And we're kind of above all that real doctrinal stuff about the blood of Jesus. And we're kind of beyond that and above that. And it's almost as though they felt that they had an inside secret to truth or to, to spirituality. And I would tell you, be careful for that. Be careful of that. When somebody says, and even Jesus said, they said, lo, He's here in this chamber. The, the Christ is returned. He's in this chamber. He's in this little secret 
meeting place with candle lit, whatever. There he is. You got to come there to find it. Although he's in a desert place, he says, although he's here, don't believe him. The truth is the truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and life. He shouted, he says, What I've spoken to you in the secret in your ears, proclaim it from the rooftops. This is not a secret religion. It's not a secret. There's repentance, there's salvation through the blood of Jesus. Anybody can be saved that believes and, and gives their life to Christ and turns to Him. It's not some secret insider kind of meeting. And you be careful of that because there are teachings that, you know, even, even some of the, uh, the Calvinists, I know that I'm not, I don't agree with the teaching of, of Calvinism or pre predestination at all. I know that there are some true Christians that I believe are true Christians that are believe that. Okay? Let's leave it at that. But, but this neo-Calvinism that they call it, Reformed theology is another name for it in our day, it's if you got to in a debate and say, well, you know, I believe it's whosoever will. And they say, oh, well, you just... It's almost like you're not educated enough. They're smarter than you. They, uh, you have to know this in the Greek and you have to really study John Calvin. You have to, uh, you just are not understanding the, you're not educated enough basically. It, it really appeals to a lot of college students. It appeals to a lot of intellectuals. Um, and it's because they feel like they've, they've latched on to something that the common man hasn't. And they're real fervent about, about it. And they're real you know, to try to impress that upon you. Dee and I were talking about, I wonder why, if, if they are Christians, okay, why are they so adamant that you become a Calvinist? You understand what I'm saying? I know I've got Baptist friends that are Christian. I'm going to be with them in heaven. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, I want to talk to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sure, I would. But the Calvinists are almost like they're not happy unless you're a Calvinist. And it makes you uh, wonder about it. But anyway, the true knowledge, and we're talking about this word knowledge, that they, they feel like they have some inside scoop or revelation or some place that they've achieved or attained spiritually that the rest have not. The Gnostics were of that mind. Um, there are people that are, I would call them New Age, New Age slash Christian. They're not really Christian, or at least the beliefs are not that they've tapped into this special way to prayer, whether it's contemplative prayer, centering prayer, uh, that we've talked about. You know, we've tapped into this. You gotta find, you're missing out. You're just missing out. You're gonna you're, you know, you're missing out on the presence of God. Well he tells me in his word, and I'm just stupid enough to believe it. That where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He's there. You understand whether I feel him or not feel him. I might have had a bad day and I don't feel anything except mad. Okay? But He tells me and He promises me and like a childlike faith, you just believe it. I believe God's here tonight with us. Amen. He's here with us. We're breaking His bread. It pleases Him. He wants to be here with us. And He's here right in the midst of us touching every one of our hearts and lives and minds as well. And so this knowledge of the Lord, that protection against the false teachers and the damnable heresies and so forth is going to be our knowledge of God, our knowledge of the truth, our knowledge of His Word. Uh, 
knowing the Lord personally and having that relationship with Him. Amen? And so, he says to those that have obtained like precious faith. Again, did Peter... You know, he's writing to people that in a worldly sense might have looked pretty weak. They were scattered from their homes, right? He said they're scattered abroad. They packed up their stuff and got out of there because they were being persecuted. So they scatter and they flee to other places. The world might not take much notice of them, much of vagabonds, you know, coming over here, setting up over here, talking about Jesus. And Peter did not consider himself above these people. He said, I'm writing to those that have obtained like precious faith. It's the same faith that I've obtained. I'm one of you. And, and, and it's a wonderful thing. When it says precious faith, he simply, simply means it's like, it's of equal honor. And precious means it's costly or valuable. Precious or valuable. Just like when it says, you know that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things in 1 Peter, you know, when you were born again, but by the, the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without spot or blemish. It means costly. And you have obtained, you scattered Christians. I can promise they're, they're, they're important to God. He loves them. Okay? He loves us. This little house group meeting in this house tonight. It's important to Him. We're important to Him. And He loves us very much. But it's a like precious faith. And uh, we can't say... Um, I just want to touch on this for a minute. When we say like precious faith, we can't say, well, that, that's, that's good for Peter, or that's good for the missionary, or that's good for Paul or John, but it's not for me. Uh, it's a like precious faith. And I can tell you that us, this little group of believers right in this room, it's a like precious faith. It's the same blood that washed Peter. Amen. Even though he walked with the Lord. And he was an eyewitness to his death, his burial, and he was the first one in John. Well, John outran him. Bible says, but they were there Sunday uh, on that resurrection morning, and and he saw all those things that we haven't seen, but he's still just saved the same way we are by faith in Jesus. It's a like precious faith, and we can love God's word as much as Peter did, and we can love Christ as much as him and his body as much as Peter did or more. We can trust the promises of God. We can yield to His will for our lives. Just like Peter and Paul and John, there's no difference. There are men. Just like we are. And it's a like precious faith. And we ought to hate sin and unrighteousness just as much as they did. And stand for the truth and stand against error just as much as they did. They have a special place because God gave them a special ministry. And it ought to be respected. Honor to whom honors do. Right? But as far as our faith and our walk with God, there's no reason that Peter ought to be any closer to the Lord in his intimacy or his knowledge of Christ or his knowledge of the truth than any of us. We have the same Holy Spirit living in us that He had. The same baptism in the Holy Spirit that He had on the day of Pentecost. It's exciting. To me, that, that's an encouraging thing. And so, how did we obtain... And we'll probably close with this. How did we obtain this like precious faith? It says in the second half of verse 1, through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The Greek text actually says through the righteousness of God our Savior Jesus Christ. And the point being that Peter wants to make no misunderstanding at all that Jesus is Christ. That Jesus is deity. He and the Father. And it's all through the Gospels as well, right? 
I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Um, and I proceeded from my Father and so forth. So that, that's just a little side note. But it's a big side note because a Mormon, for example, does not believe about the deity of Jesus Christ the way the Bible teaches it. They think we're all gods. As God is, uh, I always forget how it goes. As God is, man, uh, as God was, man is, and as God is, man once will be, one day will be. They believe all of us, including Jesus, evolved to this Godhead status. A Mormon, for example. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. They do not. That's heresy to them. I'm not putting words in their mouth and I'm not bad-mouthing them. They will tell you. That's why they changed the, the, their Jehovah's Witness Bible. And always, If they come knocking on your door and God leads you to talk to them, start right there in John 1.1. Go right there and say, okay, you say you're a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. Turn to John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now what John 1.1 1, 1 says? Same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him there was nothing made that was made. And it was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness. And it just, this is Jesus. He's the Son of God. Deity. And then we turn to the, alright, read it from your Bible. And they begin to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was a God. But that's a world of difference, isn't it? My point is, these things, when we study the Bible, you need to know what you believe. You're going to be challenged on your belief. some point in your life, you'll be challenged, and it might rock you to your core. Be ready. Be as ready as you can be. That's what we're doing by being at church on Wednesday night and not sleeping. We all could use extra sleep or do some work around the house. This is more important. It's more important because it's our concern in our faith and we're building each other up in the most holy faith. And the Lord's building us all up. And you're going to be challenged on what you believe. You are going to be personally. And we need to lay hold on Jesus. Press in to know Him. That's the answer to everything. Press in to know Christ more. How do I know Him? I know Him through His Word. I know Him through communing with Him in His Word and in prayer. And walking with Him day by day. There's not some secret insider scoop. That's it. There's not some other way besides that. It's a fellowship with the Lord. When they were walking, the two disciples on the resurrection afternoon were walking along with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. I share the story all the time. It speaks to me. And, they, and, and they, He opens the bread at the end of the day, right? And their eyes were open. They didn't know it was the Lord walking with them. And, and then He vanished out of their sight. And they turned to one another. And they were so excited. Didn't our hearts burn within us while we walked along the way and He opened the Word to us? Our hearts were burning. From what? The Word. Just reading the Old Testament Scriptures about the first coming of Christ. That's what Jesus was talking to him about. Beginning at most in the prophets, He expanded all the things in the Word of God concerning Himself. Because that's what they were questioning. Their faith was being rocked and shaken at that time. We, well, what, what are you all so sad about? They didn't know it was Jesus talking to them. Well, you, are you new around here, mister? You don't know? This Jesus, a man mighty of miracles. And we really believed, past tense, that He was going to be the King of Israel, the Savior of the world. And now He's been crucified beside all this the third day. And, 
uh, since his crucifixion. And some of the ladies said his tomb's empty and they saw him, but we didn't see him and we just don't know what. They were, they were shaken, weren't they? God didn't abandon them. He strengthened them. When you're shaken, God's not going to abandon you either. He's going to strengthen you. He said, I'm going to walk with these two guys. And he walked with them all day. All day long and all day long. What did Jesus do? He didn't say, it's me, it's me, it's me. Look, here I am. You have to pull the mask off. It's me. Here's the nail prints. What did he do to assure them? He walked with them all day. They didn't know it was Jesus. And he expounded to them the Scriptures. That was what he used to comfort their hearts. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so they were strengthened. They were encouraged. And they were about to burst. They were so happy when they finally it all clicked and all came together. But all along the way and all day, while Jesus, never, never a man spoke like this man, right? When He was speaking with the authority. Same Scriptures that the Pharisees used, but when Jesus preached it, it was different. Same exact Scriptures. Because there was life. And it was coming from the, the from God. Well, he's speaking to us tonight by his spirit. But all along the way, he was he was building them up and encouraging them through the word. So, y'all, I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, close with this thought. I wanna I wanna read this scripture. Uh, well, y'all turn with me. We're gonna read one scripture. This is just our introduction tonight. But turn to John, chapter sixteen. Very familiar passage. The last passage we'll read tonight. John 16, 12. Now he had ju- Jesus had just foretold He's going away. It's expedient for you that I go away. Why? We know because if I don't go, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, who the Father's going to send in my name. If I don't go away, He's not going to come. But if I go away, He's alike. You know, it's not a cheap substitute we sell all the time. The Holy Ghost is the third person of the Trinity. Jesus goes away, He sends the Holy Ghost. And He says, I have yet, verse 12, many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, is come, He will guide you into what? All truth. So we don't have to live in fear of being deceived. Are there damnable heresies? Are they... Are the heresies or are the, the false and the deception in the name of Christ, is it more subtle today? And by subtle, I mean tricky. Is it more close in appearance to the real? Yes. I would say it is. Okay, at least some of it is. Uh, we don't have to live in fear of that because He will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify who? Me, Jesus Christ. For he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so we have the promise of the Holy Ghost. And I know we really didn't get into our study I'll close with this. One, one minister said this, and I agree with him. We do better by dwelling in the secret place of the Most High than by making occasional visits there. Those who live in the sanctuary rather than the suburbs find the secret place of God's grace and peace. And that's what Paul, uh, Peter said, and we didn't even get to it in, in verse 2 tonight, about the grace and peace be multiplied unto you through our knowledge of Christ. We didn't even get that far. But, but the point is, 
that it's not enough for us just to abide in church. We have to abide in Christ. That's the secret place of the Most High. If there is any secret in all this, it's just a place that's available to all. That we can abide there or not abide there. We can make occasional visits to really dwelling safely in the presence of the Lord, uh, knowing we're right where, we're, where we are, where we're supposed to be, and He's with us. Or we can, we can just visit from time to time or we can dwell there. That is my choice. I think the labor is to stay there, right? We find, we find ourselves drifting. We find ourselves caught up in the affairs of the day or the affairs of the world. We look at Fox News. We get troubled by what's going on in the world. I do. And i got to retreat back to the Lord, you know, because that's, that's going to be the safe place. And that's where we're going to find the grace and the abundance of grace and the peace in our hearts and minds. It's like a chaos. And just picture yourself in the battle of Little Bighorn. Here's the Indians in Calvary and all fighting like crazy. And you're just standing there untouched by it. That's kind of like the position we're in and God's chosen us to be here in the world in this hour. There's chaos going on. And it's not just over North Korea or China or something like that. It's going on in Portland, Oregon. It's going on in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's going on all over the place. Again, I turn on from Airline onto Jefferson right by Parkview. And, and the big billboard, have y'all seen that one? Imagine being fired because of who you love. What's well, a pro-homosexual thing? They want you to go to their website and look it up. You know what they're doing? They're framing it the way they, they want to frame it. The sentence is stupid. Nobody gets fired because of who they love. They want you to embrace something, look at it the way they look at it, and go for it. Okay? Even if you're not that, to accept that and say, yeah, they're right. I'm going to help fight for their rights. Um, it's, we're living in troublesome times. The truth is going to be right here. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then on top of that, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth. Stay with Him. Stay with Him. Go deeper in Him, but don't go to something else. Go deeper in Christ. And then provoke me to go deeper in Christ, but don't provoke me to something else in the name of Jesus. Something other than Jesus in the name of Jesus passing itself off as being truth in Christ when it's not. The Lord's going to keep us. And I want to dwell there. Let's just make that our prayer. You know, uh, like, like the minister said, we do better to dwell in that secret place than making occasional visits. So Father, we come before You in, in the mighty name of Jesus, God, I thank you. You know, we're, we're let, you said we're like sheep in the midst of wolves, and that looks like an unfair battle. And it would be if it were not for Jesus, our good shepherd. And you said you're the good shepherd. You lay down your life for the sheep, and we come in and out and find pasture. And you speak to your sheep, and you call us by name, and we hear your voice, and we follow. And you lay down your life for the sheep to protect us. And I thank you, God. We've talked about it a lot, but I'm going to say it again. I thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. I thank you for giving us the spirit of truth, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, to live in us. And we can be refilled after we're baptized day after day. I thank you that you got us. I thank you for giving us a church body that we can help study the word of God together. You've given us teachers and a and in different people and ministers in different places of authority. But you've given us a priesthood of the believer that we can hold one another accountable. I thank you, Lord. There's really not a limit, I don't believe, to how far we can press into Jesus. 
how intimate we can be with you. I believe we can press in as deeply and as consistently as we want to. And I pray that you would help us by faith to do that. I pray for this body right here, God, for everyone from the youngest to the oldest, God, that we would grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would grow in our knowledge of Jesus. That's the answer to it all. We pray that you would help us to do that, Lord. As we worship you and pray for just a few moments tonight, God, pray you'd meet with us in Jesus' name. Just take a few minutes to pray. Call upon the Lord. Maybe you've been making, um, I'm not talking about your church attendance, but maybe in your private life, you've been making occasional visits to the Lord rather than abiding in His sanctuary. And ask God to forgive you. Ask Him to, to strengthen you and help you by faith to really dwell there. Set up your dwelling place, your habitation, right there with the Lord in that tabernacle, that secret place in the Most High. Thank you, Lord.